On this week's edition. With Airbnb and, you know, these other uh, websites, there's a, a lot of income potential. Not another real estate investing podcast. Glad to have you aboard and really excited this week to welcome Charlie Cow onto the program. Charlie has had a really interesting career, first as a house hacker, then later as an investor, a flipper, also now a lender. He is going to spend some time with us in this week's edition of the program to talk more about how to use Airbnb rentals to bridge that gap in between first purchasing an apartment or apartment block and then eventually flipping it. There is that time that needs to be filled and Airbnb might just be the perfect way to fill that gap. Hey, Charlie, thanks for making time for us. Hey, thanks a lot. We usually like to start with uh, kind of a conversation about how our guests got into the industry, but uh, maybe I'll just change it slightly for this interview and ask um, if there was a moment or if you remember a moment when you realized you really could make a living at real estate. Do you remember that any particular eureka moment? You know, it changes when you when you ask me. Uh, um, I, I think like, you know, two years ago, my response might be differently, but I think the where it really, really dawned on me and clicked was I found a niche with condos where um, if the HOA has gone bankrupt or is in poor condition for a condo association, it makes it nearly impossible to get regular conventional financing through a bank. So you pretty much have to buy cash. And so I purchased a number of condos, one of which was uh, only for $17,000 when previously, you know, they were selling for 80 to 90,000 simply because it just had to be a cash offer um, through the bank. And so a lot of people are like, well, if I'm going to spend $17,000 cash to buy a two bedroom, I might as well use it as a down payment to buy a single family home. And so as a result of that, um, you know, most of those condos I sold, I sold at, you know, 300% uh, price comparison to what I bought it for. So like that condo I bought for 17000 I put six to $7,000 into it. I sold it for 51500 for about two two years later. That sounds like a pretty good eureka moment. And I was just looking at your bio and you're based in Detroit. Is your business based in Detroit too or are you all over the country? You know, I'm actually based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan now. I was in Detroit for about two years um, and then I moved back to Grand Rapids about a year, year and a half ago. Uh, and is your business largely focused in Michigan or are you all over the country? Uh, primarily in Michigan. Um, I've uh, I lend money as well as one of my businesses. So I've lent money out of state in Virginia and Texas as well. Um, but primarily, I would say our, our core business is primarily just in Michigan. We've spoken with a few guests from Detroit in the Michigan area, which you know has this reputation nationally as being uh, depressed to say the least. But there seems to be a lot of kind of innovation and interesting things going on in the real estate market there. Can you talk about that? Maybe this what the struggles of Michigan generally and I guess how that's affected or shaped your business over the years? Well, in the, the Detroit area, it's very neighborhood and neighborhood. And uh, for me, just because I'm only lived 15, 20 miles away from Detroit yet, um, you know, the area I lived in was like nothing. Like you never even think Detroit was close by, but it would take me, you know, a good 45 minutes during traffic to get down there. So I typically, uh, most of the stuff I did invest in when I did, it was in the West Metro Detroit area. So mostly the suburbs. And I mean, I guess, you know, to, to when I actually was talking to somebody on a plane recently about real estate investing and they're like talking about Michigan. They're like, oh, I thought Michigan was pretty bad, you know, crime, uh, you know, because of Detroit. And there's a lot of stigmas to that. 
And that might be true about certain areas of Detroit, but if you go into a downtown area of even the worst markets, there's still a very wealthy, very good area in most downtowns. Now, Detroit's maybe smaller than like a metro like New York City, but they're still a very nice part of Detroit. And then Grand Rapids, on the other hand, um, for the longest time, Grand Rapids was considered one of the most conservative cities of this kind of like Bible rust belt of the Midwest. Um, but as a result of that, because of the conservative nature of the city, there was also very low crime rates, a lot of private schools, very good education. So as in terms of public education and job growth, it's it's very strong. So on a market on, a, on its own, I think it's just a completely different market. I mean, it'd be like comparing, you know, Chapel Hill with, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina, which are two markets I've actually looked at investing recently. They're just they're just different. You know, they might be in the same uh, state, so have similar regulations. But I know in a second here, we're going to talk about Airbnb regulations. Well, those regulations vary quite significantly just from county to county alone, even. Mm. Uh, can you talk about uh, building the business up as a cash business, not having uh, the ability to depend on uh, you know mortgage backing from banks or, or other lenders and how that has shaped, um, I guess, your your perspective and, and how the, the business is operated? Well, we do utilize conventional financing um, as well. We also utilize private financing. It just depends. Um, more recently, we have not had to use a lot of conventional financing because um, for our flips um, outside of the business, because we've had a number of people have came to us that have seen our proof of concept. And so they, you know, I'll, I'll talk to them about what I've been doing as of recently. And they'll say, well, hey, if you're ever interested, and then I'll go back to them. Um, but as for um, long-term debt, we've been using, um, like, for example, we're purchasing a, a eight-unit apartment complex here shortly. Um, that we did use conventional financing through the banks for. Um, I do have a W-2 job. Um, and I also have a very diverse real estate business as we do a number of different things within real estate. So, Typically, the banks still like to lend to us, and I've even been able to get unsecured debt um, just through our, our strong financial backing as well. So you're doing deals, you're, you're flipping uh, buildings. Do you, you also hold a stock of apartments as well. Can you talk a little bit about that and how um, you mentioned Airbnb as well and how that all plays in together? So we, we, we have three companies, essentially. So we have MCK Management. That's our business we utilize for flipping and short-term gains. And actually, I actually that, I need to correct myself because we started wholesaling. So technically, we have four businesses. We have a, one business that's just for wholesaling, one business that focuses on flips, which those two kind of tie into each other. And then we basically have MCK Rentals, which is basically my management company for my rentals as well as we manage a few rentals for friends and relatives. And then we have my holding company, which is basically what holds the the majority of our rental properties. Um, Now, outside of that, we have other streams of income. Airbnb is a a source of revenue that we primarily have used um, for bridging the gap for our flips. So once we have our flips in place, if we're only three to six months away from holding that for one year, because of better tax treatment, I generally have used that three to six months on Airbnb to bridge where at a worst case, I'll break even or even make a good amount of money until I get to one year so I can get differential tax treatment. In addition to that as well, um, we have two units. One I'm actually currently sitting in right now and another one in our home that we're actually building out where we essentially have built out a studio apartment off of our primary residence um, to create additional income. And so for our... Airbnb side of the business, um, we don't just utilize Airbnb. Actually, Airbnb actually represents about 13% of our business. Uh, We utilize Expedia, Booking.com, 
home away, um, the local com- um, uh, commerce. And then also we have a lot of repeat business because we built out a significant book from all the properties that we've had in the past. It's kind of an ingenious and obvious, if I don't mind saying that way, of, as you said, bridging in between those flips. Um, but I suppose it has some risks in and of itself. How do you mitigate those? Because there's costs involved, right? With uh, having to set up uh, short-term rentals. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, how you make sure that it's uh, it pays at the end of the day and you're not uh, putting more money in than you're getting out? So I'll give you the pros of how people sell, why you should have Airbnb rental and the cons. The pros people always will say is, oh, I get two to three times more gross. And that is a very accurate statement. It's very easy to get two to three times more gross. Um, and I would say that still averages out even if you factor in the slow months, which is basically January through April for Airbnb rentals, especially in the north. Um, but the downside about that, though, is that if you use a property management company, you're typically paying 20 to 33%. So there's a significant function there. Plus, you also have to have a variable reliable cleaner, and it's also a lot higher stress. So there's a trade-off there. Um, how I really saw the potential of Airbnb is that um, I actually was one of the very first people to use Airbnb because I actually lived in San Francisco at the time it launched. So I actually met the founders when they were actually outside of a club promoting this app and they had this QR code like, oh, try our app. And then I actually downloaded it. So I was probably one of the first maybe 500 users of Airbnb way, way, way back in the day. And then uh, I think around 2011, I uh, stayed at an Airbnb in New York City. It was on the Upper West Side. Great location, but it was basically crashed on somebody's futon in an apartment that had no air conditioning, but it was a crash pad. I paid 65 bucks 4th of July weekend to find a place to stay, which really is unheard of in New York City. But over the years, I actually followed up on this Airbnb host. And um, what I found out was she actually expanded where she got a place like literally right next to Trump Tower. She got a condo. It was a three-bedroom luxury condo there. She rented out two rooms there. She rented out the two rooms and the one I stayed at. And then she also had a vacation home in Ibiza, Spain. And between that alone, from talking to her over the years, she was able to create a job that was a six-figure income with her net. Um, granted, she had to do a lot of cleaning too as well. But that was basically her replacement income. And then she could spend time back and forth between Spain, which was where she was from, and also um, New York City. And so that's where I really noticed that with Airbnb and you know these other uh, websites, there's a, a lot of income potential. Now, the downside about it is that the risk is that a lot of times when these people are staying in your place, if you have a really nice four-bedroom, two-bath house, for example, and this actually happened in one of my units, chances are they also want to brag about it and show it to their guests. And so one of my units I had recently, um, it was a 65-person party thrown. The person said they were having a family gathering, but in reality, they were having a hip-hop song launch party where there was 65 people there. The cops had to come in and bust the door down. The guy got arrested. There was, you know, cigarette butts uh, all over the place and neighbors were extremely upset all with, you know, all over the neighbor with me. So one of the ways you can mitigate with that is by the platform you use. So, um, each of the platforms have their strengths. Airbnb, the platform that I think is the, the what's strongest about that is that you can get the most amount of people through Airbnb because I think that provides the most users. The problem with that, however, though, is that with Airbnb is it's typically the most price conscious people. And Airbnb really, really makes it 
it's it's almost like Uber where they, they kind of stack the cards against you where only a five-star rating is good. Everything else below that is bad. And they don't provide a lot of prov- uh, protections for you. So, for example, this exact same unit, Airbnb providing no phone support. Anytime I needed to work with them to work on the claim against this person, um, I got... I had to deal with via email. In addition to that, too, I found out that the, that person had ID verification on their profile. And while it said they had ID verification profile on their police report, it turned out that they faked their name on the profile. So Airbnb probably never really checked that person's name. And what happened as a result of that is that it was about $3,000 of damages. Airbnb reimbursed me for 1100 of it, which it really was not 1100 I actually saved them a good amount of work by doing some of the work myself. Um, so, so that's one way with that is that with Airbnb, you have to realize that, that, that that's one way that you really can't mitigate the risk. Now, if you want to basically not deal with it altogether, HomeAway AVRBO, for example, they actually have it where you can basically charge the person an insurance policy. I believe it's $50 to $70. So if that person actually damages their property, you file a claim against their insurance policy. So that's the easiest one of the three or three or four I use to mitigate with that. And then Booking.com. Booking.com is the highest quality class of person that books because typically it's business clients. And so those business clients, uh, just because you're getting higher quality tenants or people that are staying, um, that is probably the, another way that I've chosen to mitigate. So the reason why I don't utilize Airbnb as much, uh, strictly because the protections that they have in place for the worst case scenario are the worst. So I know we're talking about Airbnb rental. Really, it is more short term rental in my case because I don't utilize Airbnb as much as others do. Yeah, Airbnb sort of become shorthand for that uh, short-term rental, right. but it, you're saying that you got to diversify that risk by uh, spreading it out over multiple hosts. I just want to back up a minute and just point out how much I love that story about meeting these these two weirdos out front of a bar in uh, San Francisco talking about this weird new app, Airbnb. It's it's an incredible story. At the time, did you think that's never going to work, or did you think it was a pretty good idea for it from the get go? Um, I thought like, okay, they'll get a few people, but I was thinking like, well, uh, soon as uh, you know the local authorities finds out about it because I actually um, for a short period of time actually wanted to go into international hospitality so I knew kind of how hotel legislation worked so at the time I was thinking like as soon as the hotels hear a word of this they're going to shut this down immediately and obviously I was completely wrong and you know I actually like using Airbnb more than I like using hotels personally. You mentioned the other side of the business which is of course this bridging uh, using short-term lending obviously getting the flips in place ultimately um, I guess the kind of constant uh, concern we hear from our listeners is I think what every investor wants to try and figure out which is how to get uh, good leads that lead to, to good deals and quantity and quality. You have some interesting systems up in place to to ensure that that happens. Can you talk a little bit about the systems you've done to to find and generate good leads and that ultimately lead to good deals? Well, by far, I can charge more because I utilize multiple platforms. And so when I utilize multiple platforms, that allows me to essentially put in a price that I know it's worth my time to do it. So I am actually priced higher than my competitors in most cases, even though I try to find ways to make my uh, listing stick out specifically for my competitors so I have zero competition. Um, so being a super host at Airbnb, that alone basically helps you get, typically I would say my experience, anywhere from 20 to 30% more 
in rents. I don't have data to support that. That would just be my estimation, um, like from what I've seen, uh, because it allows them to to see okay all these different uh, reviews about you, and also you get a lot of feedback, which really makes your listing as close to a five star as possible. Um, so, so that is a big thing as well. I think the other thing as well too is that I know how to market my listing differently from others. So, for example, I have a property that is very, very close to a private school in Grand Rapids that's very expensive. There's actually uh, two other competitors, but they market themselves as being close to downtown by 3.5 miles away, which everybody is basically trying to market to downtown. I market it basically to... So this private school is very conservative, but um, I don't know this, but I'm pretty confident that some of my students, their girlfriend or boyfriend is going to school there. And because it's against campus policy for them to stay on site, they're basically using my, you know, suite as kind of a honeymoon suite uh, because they can't stay on campus. Or they are parents of the students that because they cannot stay on campus, they want something as close as possible because their child may have a performance over a sporting event. And so not to stereotype, but I'm getting very conservative Christians that are staying here. So they're high quality tenants. And I'm the only one on Airbnb, VRBO, HomeAway, Expedia that market specifically to a suite that is close to Calvin College. And I even offer a bike rental for them too as well, where they can bike to the campus. So I've had foreign exchange students. So I dominate the market completely. And in the area that I live, there's actually not one single hotel as well. So I have zero competition as well. So those are the things that I really do to differentiate. Um, in terms of marketing. The other thing about it too is people say, well, I got to buy furniture. Um, I don't really look at that as an issue because um, generally what my wife and I do when we have our flips is we stage our flips with used furniture. But we typically, what we've done is that we've bought them from a staging company. So we bought staged furniture, we would typically buy it for about 30% of cost. We'll stage the property and people will basically be sleeping on our staged furniture. And then when we sell the property, Typically, we'll even sell that uh, that furniture to the person buying or to somebody like on Craigslist or Facebook at a profit too as well. So we really integrate the entire process that every single step of the process is a, a way for us to make cash flow. So the flip itself, we make money from that. The fact that we don't want to have an empty place during the winter and we want to utilize, you know, getting the highest price, which is typically in the summer, we bridge that with Airbnb. But even what we're staging with, that is the income for as well. So that's not even a debt to us because we are staging ourselves. The furniture, then we are turning and selling it. And then we're also using the furniture basically for our tenants that are staying. So there really is no true expense for us from the time we finished our flip to the time that we've sold it. And also... A lot of times when people see a vacant home, they believe that they can lowball you because they realize that it's a debt to you. But when these people see that you've made a significant amount of Airbnb income, it actually increases the marketability of the home because then what they can see is, wow, you've made this much out of the property. So later on, if we decide we want to move, we can keep this and it's already got a book of business with it. And also too, they realize like, well, there's no way he's in a rush to sell. We can't lowball this guy. Because he's already making $2,000 a month off and his mortgage is probably only $1,300. So it helps us in every step in the process to basically to merge everything together in that sense. That's ingenious. How often do you hold on to a typical property? You mentioned about three to four months. Does it really vary from property to property? How long between purchase and flip? 
Um, it depends on the amount I'm going to make on the flip. If I'm making like 20 to 30 on a the flip, then I'd be more likely to sell it immediately, especially if we're already in the summer. If we are uh, approaching November, December, I will hold on to it until April, essentially, because November and December are very good Airbnb months um, because you always have people staying for families and whatnot. And um, so they want to stay in a house, especially if they have kids. Um, and then also, you, typically, there'll be some type of event. So like in Grand Rapids, we have something called art prize um kind of to promote my city it's the largest um competition in the world uh for grand prize i think it's like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. so that by that metric it makes it the largest art prize competition in the world and we have uh, hundreds of entrants we get a lot of people out of state for that uh so I'll give you an idea um i had a three bedroom one bath nowhere near downtown but it was in a quiet area i was renting for 400 a night so that gives you an idea of if you know your market, you can also adjust your rates to that tool as well. Yeah, it's great. And you talked about marketing um, through the the short term rentals. Can you talk more about um, how you are finding the properties themselves, the the buildings themselves, uh, and also building that list of potential buyers uh, afterwards, customers? Can you talk a little bit about those um, processes and, and lists that you have? The, the only houses or uh, properties that do not make good short-term rentals are properties that basically don't make good investments, period. So if it is a good investment as a flip or as a rental, uh, because of the type of quality you would attract, that also would make a good Airbnb rental. Uh, the key is, is that you have to know how to market it by knowing what is attracting people to your area. So for example, properties that are close to hospitals, are very good Airbnb rentals because um, I'll use the Grand Rapids again as an example. I had a property that wasn't really very close to downtown, but it was close to one of the major hospitals. And so the majority of people would stay would be people coming in town because their friend was having a surgery and they wanted to be there to support them. Or you might have had like somebody where their child was uh, recovering and they needed a someplace long-term stay uh, for two to three months that they, did, they just didn't want to deal with the hassles, but yet they didn't want to pay the price of a hotel. So if it's in a good school district, it typically will rent well because they typically want to be next to good families. If it's in an area close to attraction, that's a big thing. If it's an area close to like a, a speedway or a large attraction or a concert or event center, that's another one. Uh, really, the only things that don't make good Airbnb or short-term rentals are properties that are not nice and that um, nobody would want to live there, period, whether as a rental or whatnot. But I, I've seen people even succeed with mobile home parks as Airbnbs. They just have to know how to market it. But they're basically marketing to that very price-conscious tenant that wants a place to stay that maybe want to be really, really close walking distance to a concert hall or whatnot. And this is the easiest way for them to get there because all the hotels in the area are five times more. You mentioned some of the downside risks, uh, including uh, you know the potential people ruining the properties, uh, having to deal with um, you know repairing damages, etc. Uh, can you talk about some other risks? About uh, if you were giving advice to people that might want to maybe replicate this model elsewhere and in, in other cities around the country, what are some of the biggest pitfalls? Do you think? I, I think people kind of like to take too much advice from their barber, like oh my friend's friend friend also has an Airbnb rental and they're making a killing they're making six thousand dollars a month and you hear too much of that um there are areas that are too saturated and typically those areas are close to downtown so i know this might be a controversial topic for some but i personally do not think that rentals very close to downtown make good rentals i if i had a rental close to downtown 
I would allot the greatest amount of CapEx to it because if it's close to downtown, it's close to all the bars, the chances are people coming back are going to be drunk, they're going to be loud, and they're going to be upsetting the people around you, which are people are going to complain. And the we didn't talk about this yet, but I have gotten a cease desist order multiple times on my Airbnbs. So Michigan is working on legislation right now uh, with Airbnb very closely to legalize Airbnb. And essentially what they are working on is that Airbnb is essentially going to collect a tax um, and pay it to basically uh, the state directly. Now, the problem with that is the counties and the cities and the municipalities itself can say that it's not allowed. So where I have my one of my Airbnb rentals that I discontinued at one point, I read through the code very uh, clearly and it was not addressed in the code. I had a neighbor, which I don't know why they complained about it because um, I all my tenants that I've had here were very, very good. Never, never had any issues with them at all. They complained multiple times. And so the city essentially said that it does see in our ordinance that if it is not covered then or, or addressed in our ordinance, it's not allowed, which was very, very vague. And so then they said that it is considered a commercial use. So I spoke to my lawyer. My lawyer spoke with the person and it's kind of like, well, I can't speak. I can't tell you, reveal you who my client is, but he received this letter. And my lawyer essentially came back to me and said, listen, we can fight this in court, but this is a very small community with very, very wealthy people. And if you if you piss them off or make them mad, you will win this time. But chances are they'll just change the law around you and then you're going to upset every community and then they're going to try to get you on every other ordinance as well as possible that they can. So you're going to be under the radar. And I'm like, you know what? It's not worth it. Like uh, I'm gonna make, uh, I'm probably gonna make about eighty thousand on this flip, anyways. So let, let's just, let, I'll just let them know that I'm gonna take it down. Uh, I'm gonna stop marketing it, and then we'll go from there. Which the the ordinance actually specifically said that I cannot market it freely as uh, uh, because that was considered a commercial use. However. I can still rent to friends and relatives referrals as well as my past clients. And so typically within 18 months to two years, if you have gotten your Airbnb stabilized, you typically will get about a third of your guests as repeat stays alone where you're not even paying a commission to them. So that, that's a little bit of the positive side is I, I did have some referral business left over. Plus, I was still booked four months out after they chose me not. So really, I'm only going to go two months about any Airbnb rentals at all. Right. But that risk is that the regulations, the laws are going to change around you are going to be so vague that you might get caught in a bit of a a legal morass. So you got to be, I guess, keep a sharp eye on where you stand legally. Are you always consulting your lawyer uh, when you enter into um, a new property? or Are you looking over those rules and regs yourself to try and figure out whether or not it's going to be kosher? Honestly, um, I go by the, I know what the doctor says, something about it's easier to, um, ask for forgiveness than like basically ask ahead of time. I I rarely will ask them ahead of time because my experience with cities is anytime you ask them, they say no. They just say no. Like so there's no point in asking. Um so typically what I'll do is I'll I'll know what the law is. I'll work within those means and typically by the time they've discovered it or addressed it, I'm already on my way to basically selling the home. Um, Because typically that's the only way I've done that model is on my flips. Um, Even though if you have a unit off your primary residence, that is legal within my county. So I I have made those permit mainstays. Once the legislation changes to be more friendly, I'm ready to launch and I'll, I'll probably scale that business significantly. But because of that risk that the legislation quite yet 
has not supported it. I will never have more than one or two Airbnb rentals that do not meet those guidelines because of that. Um, just because I don't want to have to have the risk of, okay, well, they, they shut me down altogether. And now I got to fill five rental vacancies, even though all of my properties would make good rentals as well. Um, so if it, I, I would prefer to just not make the city mad because I have other developments down the road that I want to be on their good side for as well. Yeah. So it's like mitigating your risk by going to multiple vendors for short-term rentals. You want to kind of mitigate your risk by spreading yourself out across multiple jurisdictions. So you don't get kind of stuck if somebody decides to to change the law on you. Correct. But I will say though, at the same time though, um, like for example, I'll use Denver. Denver is a very Airbnb friendly city. But you can see that now because it's become so Airbnb friendly. Now you have literally, I don't remember the statistic. It was like a crazy statistic, but um, the inventory there for Airbnb rentals was greater than hotels. Um, and that gives you an idea how much inventory is. So that also is driving property down as well. So it, it's kind of weird because you're in this gray area uh, where technically it's not seen it's not allowed and they let you go with it but then somebody complains and they'll say well we didn't say it was allowed either um you're in an area where you can also make a significant more amount of money because of the lack of competition before we wrap things up just as a parting thought to our listeners if there was one house hack one bit of advice you'd want to leave with us before you uh before you leave what would that be anything that comes to mind uh, one maybe painful lesson you've had to learn over the years well in regards to the airbnb rentals do your research just by going on airbnb i can't tell you how many people will buy an airbnb rental before they've done any actual research on the airbnb website and then secondly i don't know why but i would say literally i've mentored a few people now 100 percent of the people i've mentored have not factored in capex for their airbnb rental which is crazy everybody else in real estate factors capex in but they don't factor in capex for their airbnb rental and if anything it should be higher because the amount of wear and tear and usage on these properties especially because you have people partying and drinking is actually higher so you should have a higher capex rating with these short-term rentals versus our typical rental. Thanks for doing this, Charlie. Yeah, no problem. Thanks a lot. That's all the time we have for this edition of the program. Be sure to rate and comment on the podcast at Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next week.